Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the New Testament Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel. We have a couple of weeks before we will return to our systematic study through the book of Acts. So for today, we will be in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. As we gather here today, this Lord's Day, this Christian Sabbath, the one day in six that we set aside, that Christians set aside for the worship of the Lord, we come on purpose. We come on purpose. At Waco Family, we have been very intentional about making sure we come with purpose and on purpose, uh, seeking to allow the Lord Jesus to guide our worship, knowing that each and every Lord's Day, each and every Sunday is a celebration of the victory and the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ through His life, death, and resurrection. We have made an effort to not have special Sundays. Now, I am pro-father and pro-mother and pro-veteran and pro-Memorial Day, however you want to say that, pro-Fourth of July. I'm an I'm a American citizen, proud to be an American citizen. But this is the Lord's day. And this is the Lord's house. So when we go out there, we recognize all those things, but this is the Lord's day. So we don't want to have those kind of special days because this is the Lord's day. And then we also don't want to have special Sundays because special Sundays, if we have one special Sunday, what does that mean about the other 51 Sundays of the year? They're not special. And every Lord's day is a resurrection Sunday. We celebrate Easter, if you will, 52 times a year. Remembering that, there are events on the calendar which do coincide. They line up with history. Not like December 25th, which, this may be news to someone, has nothing to do with the birthday of Jesus. But Jesus' resurrection, his, his crucifixion and resurrection, this all was centered around, uh, on the calendar, the Passover observance. And, and this coming to the Passover time where Jesus would be sacrificed and where he would rise from the dead, this was not accidental. This was not just happenstance. This indicates and demonstrates the sovereign power of God and how He plans things out. So we come to the calendar and we see events like Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, which will be not today, but one week from today, next Lord's Day. We celebrate Easter 52 weeks a year, but next week will be uh, what the whole rest of the world will recognize as Easter Sunday, as Resurrection Sunday. So this week would be recognized, it would be called Holy Week. There's so much about the events of Christ's last days leading up to the cross, His death, 
burial and resurrection. There's so much recorded in Scripture in the four Gospels there. This Holy Week. And if we're backtracking, that would make today Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Called Palm Sunday because of the entry of Christ into Jerusalem when He came in riding on the colt of a donkey and coats and palm branches were laid in the way to make a path for Him. So we call it Palm Sunday. There's much more that can be said about Palm Sunday. We have details that are given in all four of the Gospels. This entry into Jerusalem is recorded in all four of the Gospels. I'm so thankful that we read the account from John where we read about those palm branches. Luke, what we'll read today, doesn't mention palm branches, but we know they're there because of John's account. So if you've made your way to Luke chapter 19, we'll read verses 28 through 44. 28 through 44, and this will be our text for today's message. Luke 19, 28. After he said these things, he was going ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount which is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they untied the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, now I'm going to insert a word that is not here in Luke, but we read it in John, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we come asking your blessing now on the reading and the preaching of your word. 
Open our hearts to receive your truth. We ask that you would sanctify your people, sanctify your church by your word. Remind us today of the condescension of our Lord. Remind us of the lengths to which you came to secure our salvation. Remind us of the sacrifice you made for our redemption. We ask today that you draw lost souls to yourself, saving them by your grace, granting the grace of repentance. We pray this morning that we would hear the voice of our Savior and that you would hide this preacher behind the cross of Calvary. Make the preaching of the Word of God a means of grace to us. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Verse 21 states rather simply that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. But we know from the information we have in the Gospels, this was not just a routine visit to the city. This was something special. Jesus had clearly declared, clearly stated to His disciples that He was going to Jerusalem and that He would suffer and die at the hands of the Romans by the manipulation of the Jews. He was going there to suffer and to die. He had also told them that He would rise again, but they did not understand. This was His purpose this was the purpose for going to Jerusalem at this time. This was the purpose for His virgin birth, for the incarnation, for Him living His life up to this point. It all comes to this. And really, the case could be made that this was the purpose from the time God said, let there be light. This was the purpose for all things. That Jesus Christ would come to Jerusalem, would suffer and die to redeem a people. The disciples didn't understand this. They didn't understand this purpose. They didn't know. But they went with him. Jesus and the disciples got close to the city. And these events are amazing. These, these things that occurred should, should shock us in a way. Verse 29 to 35 speaks of the appropriation of a donkey colt for Jesus to ride. And this is, this is quite bizarre. But it is also informative. Let me say this, as, as Jesus instructs these who will go and get this donkey, He says, when they ask you, why are you untying the donkey? Tell them, the Lord has need of and this is kind of a shift. The Lord. It's not a shift in who Jesus is, but it's a shift in how His people will address Him. And it's from this time to this very day that we call Jesus our Lord and our Savior. He is the Lord. It's quite bizarre as we look at these verses again, just picking up into verse 30, he sent these two disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? The Lord has need of it. 
So they went, they found things just as he had told them. Just as he had told them. Not because he knew the future, but because he declared it to be. Not because he knew facts, but because he declared it to be. They brought this cult to Jesus. This, this indicates to us, and we should take note here, of the sovereign power of Jesus Christ. His sovereignty is shown at least in two ways here. First, His sovereignty is shown over the people. Now, I've compared in this day, walking up and untying a donkey and her colt and bringing those two animals, I've compared that to the modern day of, hey, can I get your car keys? Now, I really want your car keys. <laughs> I, I, I've thought about this, and I, you're sitting here, but I've really thought about Pastor Brenton and asking him for his car keys. I think he would give them to me. I think. But I don't think it would be given without some questions. <laughs> why do you need my car keys? Why do you? Why? What's going on here? Imagine that. That's what happened here. And Christ's sovereignty is shown over these people because they didn't steal this cult. They didn't hypnotize these people into handing over this animal. They willingly gave for the use of the Lord. This shows Christ's sovereignty over these people. And secondly, we see Jesus' sovereignty over the animal. I, I've ridden horses, not super, not not real often, but sometimes. I've ridden horses that were broken and trained and other people had ridden them and this is the normal thing. And those experiences have more often than not resulted in more activity than I was ready for. More liveliness than I asked for. Uh, there have been times that, that we've experienced some bucking. <laughs> Those experiences are less than pleasant. Uh, Pastor Brent has had an experience that was less than pleasant of riding an animal that had never been ridden. And I know that he would love to share that story with you. I'm not going to share it now. But riding an animal broken is enough of an experience. Riding an un broken animal on which no person had ever sat. This, in everything that we know, in all reason and in all learning, this is going to be a disaster. Right? I mean, isn't that reasonable to say this is not going to go well? But from the time those disciples came and took that lead rope, that donkey came willingly. And Jesus, they threw these coats down like a saddle, but it wasn't really a saddle. And he sat there. And this donkey demonstrates the sovereignty of Jesus Christ over this animal. 
Donkeys are known for stubbornness, for obstinance. We could say mule-headedness. But this donkey colt was completely surrendered to the will of his maker. He was gentle. He was willing under the control of Jesus. Now the thought occurs to me that I can only think of I can only think of one living thing that is more stubborn and obstinate than a donkey. And that's a man. And a woman. And young people. It's humanity. More stubborn than a mule. People are stubborn. But people, we can learn a lesson from this donkey. He may have been stubborn. He may have fought against everything else. But when Jesus had need for him, when Jesus called him, so to speak, he surrendered to Jesus' will. Some of you, don't take this wrong. I'm pretty stubborn. Ask my wife. But some of you are so stubborn that you resist the will of Christ. Like Jesus said to Paul, you kick against the goads. Some of you are just that stubborn. And you need to learn from this donkey to listen to the call of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Spirit of Christ and surrender your will to Jesus. These events of going and getting this animal and bringing it back, they worked out. But they didn't work out, as I mentioned, because Jesus had prearranged these things. Uh, this demonstrates His divinity. This demonstrates His sovereign power over all things. He didn't predict these things because He knew what would happen. He said it, and it was so because He said it was so. Let's consider, as we think about this donkey, Christ's choice of a mount. Some of you are thinking, a donkey? A donkey? That's reasonable to think. You may expect that Jesus would want to ride into Jerusalem on a stallion. Go find me the finest horse there is. He was sovereign. He could have gotten that. But he doesn't do that. But we think that way. I mean, think of all the paintings. Think of all the, the sculptures and the artwork that depicts kings and generals and world leaders and world conquerors. Many of them, if not most of them, are seated on horseback to demonstrate their power. Napoleon loved to ride into a city that he had conquered on horseback with his hand in his coat. He is victor. That's exactly what the Jews were expecting. They were expecting a great military leader to come in and to conquer the Romans. They perceived their greatest need 
Their greatest problem, if you will, was the Romans. So their greatest need was to be freed from the Romans. We need a conqueror to come in here and defeat Rome. But Jesus comes on the foal of a donkey. Found with its mother, just as Jesus had declared it to be. And this was to communicate, this, this choice of mount was to communicate the purpose for his visit and the intention of this visit to Jerusalem. First, we may be surprised to hear this, but this was a statement of the kingly office that Jesus holds as the one who will sit on the throne of David forever. Jesus is king in the lineage of David. And back to David's reign, God had commanded that kings were not to be collectors of horses and wives. They were not to collect horses because their hope, their faith, was not to be in horsepower. Their faith is to be in God. So they rode donkeys and this riding a donkey was a kingly thing. And Jesus here is riding a donkey, the seed of David, who will rule on the throne forever. Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah would come riding on a donkey. And here he does. A stallion shows power and force and and shows conquering, but a donkey, even the foal of a donkey, indicates peace. Jesus mentions to the crowd in verse 42, these people of Jerusalem, they didn't even understand what was needed for peace. They didn't understand. They thought what we need for peace is military force. What we need for peace is a show of power. But Jesus came to bring peace. Remember, he is the prince of peace. And he was about to bring about peace with God. They expected peace to be brought through a show of force, but Jesus comes on a young donkey. Verse 35 and following mentions that the people spread their coats on the animal and they spread their coats in the road, probably moving their coats as Jesus progressed up the road. The other gospels inform us, as we read this morning, that they were cutting the branches of palm trees and laying them in the path. And this certainly symbolizes this joyful triumph. And it has come to mean, palm branches has come to mean to us, this joyful triumph that was the tone of the day as Jesus enters Jerusalem. And in verse 37, we see the crowd begin to praise God. This is more than simply praising God for a mere man who has come. They are praising God, praising Jesus Christ for the miracles they have seen. And this worship is clearly given to Jesus as the Messiah. And we'll see that more evidently here in just a second, but they were worshiping. This crowd, these, these people were worshiping, and I mentioned from John, they said, Hosanna, which is to say, save us. But this is not 
the crowd coming and exercising saving faith. This was worship that was deserved. Jesus deserves all worship, all praise, but their worship was somewhat misguided. They were looking for the Messiah. They were recognizing Him as the Messiah, but they didn't want the Messiah that God had given them. They wanted a Messiah of their own imagination. They wanted the Messiah that they had worked up in their mind that they needed. How many people today want Jesus? Want Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus who is, not Jesus the Christ. They want a Jesus of their own imagination. Someone once said, ever since God made man in his image, men have been trying to make God in our image. It's very true. We, we have that. And, and beloved, perhaps you have been trying to mold Jesus to fit into your idea. To fit into your mold. You have thought about Jesus like the storyteller Tom T. Hall. Me and Jesus got a good thing going. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. But you need to know that Jesus has his thing. And you are commanded to turn from everything. And turn to him by faith. These people were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now this is a quotation from Psalm 118. And it may be news to you that this is a quote from Psalm 118, but they knew. They knew the quote. It also may be news to you that Psalm 118 is recognized and was recognized by all in that day as a messianic psalm. But they knew. The people there, this, this was not news to them. They were proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. As they said, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. It was part of the festivals and the rituals that the Jews would quote these Messianic verses. But now they were applying these things to this one. Of course, they make it clear that they were not expecting the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. Because only days later, these same voices that cry, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, will be crying, crucify him, crucify him. But here at this time, in this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they worshiped Jesus as the incarnate God and the promised Messiah. The people knew what they were saying. But the Pharisees also knew what they were saying. In verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They knew that 
worshiping a mere man in this way would be blasphemy. It would be idolatry. And that is true. But Jesus was no mere man. The Pharisees did not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. They could not admit that he was the Holy One of God. So they called on Jesus to silence the crowds. I find it interesting that the Pharisees didn't say anything to the crowds themselves. Probably fearing the crowds. But they put the onus on Jesus. And look how Jesus responded. How, how, think how angels in scripture have responded to worship. Don't worship me. Get up. Think how the apostles responded when they were worshipped as God. Don't worship me. Get up. Don't do that. How did Jesus respond? Jesus accepted the worship. He received the praise. He did not correct nor censure the things that were being declared about Him. Again, if, if this were a, rear, a mere man... Even a great man, this would be scandalous to accept praise and worship that is due to God alone. But think about it. We know that would be scandalous. But what about Jesus who is the Messiah? He is God incarnate. He is divine. For Jesus to stop the crowd, for Jesus to silence the worship, that would be scandalous. He must be worshipped. For Jesus to refuse worship as God would be wrong. So the people worshipped. And Jesus accepted the worship. And then he answers the Pharisees in this way in verse 40. I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Now I have to admit to you that I've spent more than a little time in my life thinking about stones worshiping and stones shouting out. We sang songs when I was growing up and there, some of you right now have songs coming to your mind about the rocks shall not cry out in my place. I thought about what that would look like, but the idea that Jesus is, when he says the stones will cry out if these are silent, it's not that we go develop a a geological worship doctrine. We're not to become about rocks crying out. Think about rocks worshiping. And if you're thinking that's absurd, I'm with you. That's absurd. And I think that's what we're supposed to think here. Rocks worshiping is absurd. Don't imagine rocks crying out. That's impossible. And that will never happen. And that's the idea. It's ridiculous to imagine rocks worshiping Jesus. And it's just that ridiculous. No, more ridiculous to imagine that men and women would not worship Jesus. It's ridiculous to imagine that Jesus would not be praised it would be more reasonable to think that rocks were going to speak. First of all, the redeemed of the Lord will worship and praise the risen Christ now 
and for eternity. Jesus will be worshipped. And the scripture is very clear, very plain, that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every tongue, every human being will give, even if it's this forced worship, acknowledging the truth of Jesus' divinity, the perfection of his life and obedience, the reality of his vicarious death, and the glory of his resurrection. He will be worshipped. As long as I have breath. Christian, as long as you have breath. And then into eternity. The rocks will never cry out because praise and worship for Jesus Christ will continue forever and forever and forever. Verse 41, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. He said, if you had known, even you, the things which make for peace. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And this pictures Jesus in his role as prophet. And we think about the Old Testament prophets who wept as they brought the word of God to the people and as they declared the coming judgment that would come and they wept, but it did not stop them from still proclaiming the judgment. So do not think because Jesus weeps here that He is weak. Do not think because Jesus weeps here that He will back up on the judgment that He proclaims. He weeps because the souls of so many human beings would suffer the torments of hell. So many would never know the salvation of God. They would never know the forgiveness of sin. They would never know the peace with God that they needed so badly. Their true greatest need. Jesus said they didn't know the things that made for peace. They were looking for a military deliverance. They wanted a strong show of force. But Jesus came in on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey. They wanted a Messiah who would kill Jesus came as the Messiah who would die. They wanted a Messiah who would be a strong leader. Jesus came and was the Messiah who would humbly serve. They wanted peace with humanity obtained by the sword. Jesus came purchasing peace with God by the death of of God's only Son. Jesus predicts in verse 43 and 44 the end of Israel. He told of the final days for the nation. These events came to pass in 70 AD. These are not things we're still looking to come in the future. These things came to pass in 70 AD at the hands of a Roman general named Titus. Just as it was stated by Jesus that barricaded the city, so many were trapped in there. There were many deaths and not one stone was left on another. This is in Scripture, but this is also in other historical, extra-biblical accounts that, that show us that it came about exactly as Jesus stated. If you're wondering what about the Christians who were there, because at this time there were many Christians there, they were warned by Jesus, when you see these things, leave. Get out. Escape. And they did. 
They obeyed Christ and they escaped. And that's why we have letters like Peter's written to the dispersed. Those scattered. Because they ran and they were dispersed. Jesus predicts this destruction of Jerusalem. And, and it doesn't just predict that it's happening. But he states the reason for it very clearly. He says in verse 44. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. These Jews didn't recognize the time of their visitation. They didn't recognize the Messiah with them. For 33 years, ministering for three years, Jesus was right there. Right there for them to receive, to accept, to acknowledge as God, King, Messiah, and Lord. But they refused. They held on to something and what they held on to would be destroyed in a very short time. Now, sinner, learn from this and don't be like these Jews. Don't miss the time of your visitation because you're holding on to something else and not turning to Jesus by faith. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Seek the Lord while He may be found. He will not always, His Spirit will not always strive with you. Fear God. Fear a holy God who cannot look upon sin and fear the judgment that is to come to you because you are a sinner. And don't hold on to the thing that will be destroyed in such a very short time from now. Fear judgment and run to Jesus as a refuge, as a Savior. Jesus is the only Redeemer. <coughs> Today we witnessed the baptism of a believer. We saw the picture of death and burial and resurrection. Jesus died. And Jesus has been raised. He is victor over sin. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Beloved, if you will come to Him in faith, you share in His death. And His death is a victorious death. You will share, if you come to Him in faith, believing in Him for salvation, you will share in His resurrection. And He is the resurrection and the life. The power that raised Lazarus from the dead. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the same power that cleanses sinners and makes us right with God. Stop asking. Am I good enough? Let me help you. No, you are not. And you never can be. But He came to earth, took on flesh to become our brother in humanity. And He took on flesh and lived a life earning the righteousness that you need. He earned the righteousness because you never came. And He earned that righteousness for all who would believe on Him. 
Stop asking if you can do enough to pay for your sins. You cannot. You can do nothing to to take one second off of an eternity in hell. You can do nothing to pay for sin. But Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, went to Calvary and He suffered and died there not for Himself, but for all those who would believe on Him as payment for our sin. Come to Him in faith. What about being good? Isn't that part of it? That's part of what He'll do after. The command of Scripture The call of God and the call of this preacher is that you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Believing in Him. Jesus did so many things in His life privately. So many things that He he did and then those who witnessed, He said, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody who I am. Don't tell anybody what I've done. Just keep this Keep this on the down low. He did so many things privately. But this, this is very public. This triumphal entry, Jesus made sure that it was very public. And He accepted the fact that it was very public. And He comes into Jerusalem and His death on the cross of Calvary is very public. And His resurrection He wasn't seen by a person or two. He wasn't seen by the twelve disciples. The resurrected Christ was seen by more than 500 at one time. This is very public. Those who will reject Jesus Christ may reject and may deny His life and death and resurrection for their salvation. But they cannot deny the fact of it. Jesus made this very public. The Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, is our Passover Lamb. We thank God that in Christ's humiliation, we are exalted. That that because Jesus was put down, we are raised up. Because He died, we live. Because we share in Him. And we say then with the psalmist, these same words that the Jews shouted on that day, but we say them in true worship to the Messiah. Hosanna. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. God, we pray that you'd apply these words, your words to our hearts. We pray that you'd sanctify your people. We pray that you'd save sinners. We ask this in Jesus' name.